This is the Baymall Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we continue our study of wisdom literature as we examine the collection of Proverbs and the teachings of Ecclesiastes. And believe it or not, we're joined once again by Kevin Lua. I have snuck my way back in. <laughs> how, how do we let this keep happening? The magic of recording ahead of time. Man, it's Wait, unbelievable. Might Kevin, have to lock your doors next time. We Kevin podcast. never left. <laughs> Kevin never left. <laughs> yeah, so we've been talking about wisdom literature, and uh, what did we say we were going to call that last time, Kevin? Wisdom literature. See, we're going to call it. No, no, no. That's gonna. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna edit that out. Oh, tools. Yes, tools. So uh, we got some tools for our journey. We got tools as we're stuck in the redemption cycle which is kind of where we've been. We've been through, I mean, Judges was the redemption cycle, but really all of history that we read about is just God's people stuck in the redemption cycle. What history are you talking about, Marty? History? How did we get here? How did we get here? Where did this all come from? You're not asking me to review, are you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it never hurts. Yeah, well, maybe once, a short review. Once we, maybe, maybe a post-Torah review. You know, okay. after we got out of Torah... And God wanted to put his people at the crossroads of the earth. So in the book of Joshua, we looked at that period we call the conquest, but it was really a time where God took his people and he he put them at the crossroads of the earth. And then as we looked at the book of Judges, it was this nonstop cycle. Now, a lot of people called it the sin cycle, but Brent, you and I talked about, it's a horrible way to look at it. Super depressing. Because you could also look at it from the other direction. Instead of looking at it from the sinfulness of man, you could look at it from the patience long-suffering, loving-kindness of God. And so we call it the redemption cycle because the book of Judges is just full of God's people trying to figure it out. Towards the end of the book, they even become the the anti-story with that the story of the Benjamites and how it kind of mirrors Sodom and Gomorrah we looked at. But the story still wasn't over at that point. They, we went into the period of the kings and the people asked for a king and there were some issues with that. But God said, the problem is that you want a king that looks like everybody else. Well, I'll give you the donkey herder king you're asking for. So we talked about Shaul. We talked about David, a king after God's own heart. Uh, We talked about Solomon, who had a lust for empire. And we talked about Samuel and kings being one source of the story. We talked about Chronicles being another source of the story. Um, And and after Solomon, uh, what happened to the kingdom, Kev? It's split. Split. So the, the kingdom of Solomon is split, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Everything kind of begins to devolve into a mess. We have our bright moments. There's a handful of kings that seem to do things the way that God wants. But most of the kings just don't trust the story. And they're trying to build their own empire. And we really have devolved into an anti-story at this point. And so into that mess, the prophets are going to become, or the prophets are going to come into that mess. But before we go to the prophets, we wanted to pause because a few of those kings that we looked at, namely David and Solomon, David and Shlomo, are, are going to be credited with the work of the wisdom literature. Um, and we called this wisdom literature tools, Kevin told us. Uh, if we're going to make it through this redemption cycle, the mess that is life, we're going to need some tools to help us do that. And so last podcast, we talked about the Psalms. And one of the tools that we're going to need is we're going to need song because uh, we've got to keep singing. Uh, sometimes singing is a discipline. Sometimes singing is a joy. Sometimes singing erupts from inside of us because we just have to give expression. And sometimes we don't feel like anything. And sometimes we sing. And sometimes we don't even sing and other people sing for us. But we have to keep singing because song is one of those tools 
Um, we, we, we have to keep singing if we're going to trust the story. Um, Trusting the story is going to be, we talked about party in the book of Leviticus. Song is kind of a little mobile party. Song is going to be this reminder that goes with us wherever we go, uh, that there's a story to be trusted. So song is one of those tools. We're also going to need wisdom. If we're going to make it through this redemption cycle, through the struggle of life, we're going to need wisdom. Uh, And so we have the book of Proverbs. Proverbs... uh, typically attributed to Solomon. Even some scholarship is going to say that Solomon compiled this 31-chapter work that you have in your Bible. But it's really not designed in any particular way, at least that I've been able to figure out. Some sections are. Some sections are just collections, it appears. The Proverbs of Solomon, my NIV Bible will say. Um, and these these Proverbs uh, are these little nuggets of wisdom uh, there's not a huge podcast here for Proverbs. Proverbs are pretty straightforward. A lot of people really like the book of Proverbs. Either one of you guys really love the book of Proverbs? I can take it or leave it. Take it or leave it? It's all right. Well, that sounds really sacrilegious, but Sorry. I can understand what you're saying. Uh, I'm, I'm, the... I'm not going to leave it. <laughs> I'm taking it for sure. <laughs> I mean, I, so... <laughs> I'll use it. And I'm just digging a hole for myself. Yeah, right? No more podcasting for you. He's going to leave it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm this is officially the end of Kevin on the podcast. <laughs> You said that last time. Uh, I, I can definitely appreciate that. Um, I remember having a, I had a couple of accountability groups in my ministry like 12 years ago. And two of the guys that I had this uh, accountability relationship with loved, I mean, they loved the Proverbs. And I could appreciate that because Proverbs are just straightforward wisdom. Just here's a little black and white nugget that's just full of wisdom. Um, now, the thing about that, uh, the Proverbs is they're not comprehensive in their wisdom. Uh, what is it that we call Proverbs, Kevin? Call them wise sayings that are generally true. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things to call it. Uh, it's a wise saying that's generally true. What we mean by that is there is a lot of cases where a proverb is not comprehensively true. A proverb has all kinds of wisdom in it. It expresses something that is absolutely generally true and full of wisdom. But there's always exceptions to the proverb, which is important because you need to know that before you go basing your... You don't go writing doctrinal statements out of the book of Proverbs, if that makes any sense, because there's going to be an exception to almost any proverb that you can find. Go ahead and uh, you, you have some examples, Kevin, you found there in the book of Proverbs? Yeah, I was, I was cruising through and uh, we got uh, Proverbs 10.3, the Lord will not let the righteous go hungry, but he denies the wicked what they crave. Okay. So the Lord won't let the righteous go hungry. He denies the wicked of what they crave. That That's good wisdom. It's true. Like if we follow the ways of God. If we're if we're righteous, if we're generous, if we're compassionate, uh, God's going to take care of us. That's wisdom. Um, it, but can you can you say that without a doubt, Brent, that that's always been the case? God's never let the righteous go hungry. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely some periods of time where people have gone without food. Yeah, and the wicked. Well, they always. I mean, they, what, how did it word it, Kevin? What was the last line there? But, but he denies the wicked what they crave. Yeah, the wicked are always denied what they crave, right, Brent? Oh, well. <laughs> Um. <laughs> it's a wise saying. Is it wise? Does it have wisdom in it? Absolutely. Is it always true without exception? Absolutely. That's not how a proverb functions. Do you have another one, Kev? We have the, the classic, uh, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but the wise man accepts advice. Yeah. All wise men always accept advice. Uh, definitely a good proverb, but I, I've known some wise men. Now I get it. Like, well, if they didn't accept advice, they're not very wise. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I have known wise men who don't always accept advice well. So one of my favorites, uh, Proverbs uh, twenty twenty one. 
An inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. I like that. That's good wisdom. I mean, typically somebody who comes upon an inheritance, like just drops into their lap. They get the phone call someday. So-and-so left you an inheritance of $3.4 million. I didn't plan on it. It often isn't dealt with well, that kind of, I won the lottery. This proverb is most definitely generally true. But is there no example of a place where an inheritance quickly earned? Of course not. This is just the nature of Proverbs. And it's helpful to remember that before you go making huge life decisions uh, based on some assumption that there's no exception to the rule. It's just how a proverb works. It's what a proverb is. We call it proverbial wisdom is the statement that we use. Uh, So second observation, there are some great sections in Proverbs. One of the great themes uh, is the dance between two women, the two women of Proverbs in chapters one through nine. Uh, Proverbs contrasts wisdom and temptation as two women. The ancient rabbis and the more mystical traditions have always seen lady wisdom as synonymous with Torah. Torah as wisdom for the more mystical traditions. And they teach that wisdom Torah was there at the creation of the world. And this has eternally existed with God. Uh, If we don't get too hung up on the semantics here, we might see a great parallel between this teaching and the opening paragraphs of the Gospel of John, maybe. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, this idea of wisdom. So uh, the, the book of Proverbs will even end with the famous Proverbs 31, the the biblical wife passage. So one mystical take on the book of Proverbs is that the the Proverbs, this entire book of wisdom, is a dance uh, depicted by allegorical women. There's the the adulteress of of foolishness and folly, and then there's lady wisdom, uh, obedience, Torah, uh, just wisdom in general. And, And these Uh, these women characters that end up portraying both those things. So that's a possibility. By the way, one of those famous verses, uh, uh, that famous section I just referenced, the the Proverbs 31 woman, uh, I would recommend one of my favorite sections. There's been a lot of great sections written on that. One of my favorite is actually by Rachel Held Evans in the book, uh, The Year of Biblical Womanhood, which was not my favorite Rachel Held Evans book, but it was, uh, that chapter was one of the best chapters on Proverbs 31 that I had read. Really good. Uh, she talks to a uh, a lady rabbi who uh, speaks to her about Proverbs 31. This is re- just really good. Um, but finally, just the last little bit about Proverbs. There's some very, very useful themes that kind of run all throughout the entire book. I remember when I went to Bible college. I usually have really critical things to say about Bible college. I'm going to throw Bible college some love today. Shocker. Brace yourself. Uh, but in Bible college, one of the assignments that still impacts me today, um, when I was a freshman was I had to go through the book of Proverbs with, uh, I think seven different colors of highlighter and I had to find seven different themes and I had to find every proverb that fit that theme and I had to highlight it. And, uh, I just found some really good themes, um, uh, uh, wealth and riches, Proverbs 10, four, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs eleven sixteen: a kind-hearted woman gains honor, but ruthless men gain only wealth, um, wealth and riches. There's, there's themes about family. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown. A disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. Proverbs 12, 4. There's Proverbs 14, 26. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress for their children. It will be a refuge. Um, 
lots of themes rose to the top. The theme that I remember in Bible college impacted me the most that I love just personally. And since I'm the one teaching here, I get to choose. The theme I love the most is the theme about uh, speech. Proverbs ten nineteen. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. The words of the wicked, Proverbs 12, 6, the words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but speech of the upright rescues them. Proverbs seventeen twenty seven. the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint and whoever has understanding is even tempered. Um, I am somebody who makes a living with words. Words are very, very important to me. And uh, I remember in Bible college just being a super important lesson for me because pride and words do not go well together. And so the big lesson I learned as I studied Proverbs was this. Here's my own Solomon proverb. When in doubt, shut up. Um, And that has served me well. Um, if If I don't know for a fact that there's something that God needs me to say here, I would definitely... I can always rest <laughs> in the security of my decision to not say anything at all. In fact, I have a friend. Uh, his name is Chris McNaught, and he wrote a book that you can actually find on Amazon, I believe. It was there anyway. The book is called Less is More Than Enough. Less is More Than Enough. I don't know if Chris listens to my podcast. If he does, hey, Chris. Uh, he has an incredible story, and he also has uh, a life that he's given to minimalism, I think you could say. Um, but he also has applied that to words. He's a counselor. He's a, he's got graduate degrees in counseling. He teaches the college level in counseling and, and, uh, in Southern Idaho and, um, just has some really good thoughts in that book on words and minimalizing our speech, if you will. Uh, last thing I want to talk about today is Ecclesiastes. That's the next book also attributed to Solomon, although that is hotly, hotly debated, um, In fact, I I don't know too much scholarship that actually thinks that Solomon is the guy who actually wrote it. There's debate about whether or not the intro and the outro to Ecclesiastes were even added later. It's a possibility. There's some elements there that make people think that. Not that you have to believe that. I'm just saying. There's a conversation that rages about who actually wrote Ecclesiastes. But we talked about these tools. The first tool that we had was song. The second tool that we had was wisdom. But the third tool that we're going to need if we're going to make it through this uh, daily struggle is we're going to need the tool of meaning. We're going to need purpose. We're going to need to know why we're here. In fact, here's another fun link that you can link, Brent. Uh, Simon Sinek did a TED Talk years ago called Start With The Why. It's one of his better known TED Talks, uh, conversations, videos. Uh, Start With The Why by Simon Sinek. And he talks about why some companies like Apple, uh, as an example, are so successful. He says they're successful because they understand not their product, but the why behind their product. Um, And he says they advertise so well because they're advertising the why, uh, not just the product itself. In fact, he talks about how they can can not even advertise the product at all. I remember those Christmas advertisements with Apple where they would show somebody making a video of their time home for the holidays. And at the end, you realize it's an iPhone commercial. Because the whole commercial is bent around the why. Because purpose, meaning, why makes all the difference in the world. Now, uh, Kev, have you read the book of Ecclesiastes? A while back, yeah. Can you remember anything about it? What was your impression of Ecclesiastes? It was a very depressing book. Oh, my goodness. My first... <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. That's exactly what I was hoping you'd say. My, my first sermon that I had to give in Bible college was on the book of Ecclesiastes. Talk about 
Oh my goodness. That was like the worst assignment ever. Uh, so hard, but so good as well. Um, uh, for that to be my first message, because Ecclesiastes, on the surface, everything is what, Kevin? Everything is vanity. Everything is vanity. Everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Just meaningless. This is meaningless. That is meaningless. Wisdom is meaningless. Like right after you get done reading Proverbs, <laughs> you just turn the page to Ecclesiastes and you read, well, wisdom is meaningless. And you're like, oh, well, thanks. Just wasted all that time. I mean, everything is meaningless. This is so depressing. Um, and uh, so you read this. I remember. I remember even... Uh, Erwin McManus, a, a teacher who I actually really, um, I really appreciate all of his work. I, some of his books are some of my favorite books, but he did this video one time on Ecclesiastes and he was like, essentially his premise was the, the writer of Ecclesiastes was wrong. <laughs> that was a weird video. I'm like, you can't do that. Um, there must be something else going on in Ecclesiastes, but boy, on the surface, is it hard to swallow? And so, uh, one of the ways that that's been taught to me, I remember it being taught to me in Bible college, is Ecclesiastes is kind of like this little bait and switch. It's it's meaningless, it's meaningless, it's meaningless, it's meaningless. Every It's showing how everything is meaningless. And then at the end of the book, the author flips it on its head and then says, essentially, but with God, everything has meaning, which I think is completely and totally accurate. Um I think that's I think that's definitely one way you can read the book of Ecclesiastes. I think on the surface, the book definitely does that. Well, relationships are meaningless. Work is meaningless. Wisdom is meaningless. Uh, you know, everything you could possibly think of is meaningless unless you have God in the middle of it. And if God is powering it, well, all of a sudden, everything, work has meaning. Wisdom has meaning. Relationships has meaning. Everything all of a sudden has meaning. So that's that's one way you can look at it. But I think... In wisdom literature especially, there's even more layers taking place here. So, uh, Brent, I think you have Ecclesiastes 7. First four verses there. Read us Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 4. Kevin, listen to this and give me your thoughts on this, okay? A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. How's that hit you, Kev? I don't want to go to any of those things. <laughs> it's not what I would do. It's more of that really depressing, depressing stuff, right? Like a, the day of death is better than the day of birth. The house, like, seems really heavy-handed, right? Like, it starts off so nice. A good name is better than fine perfume. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. And it goes downhill. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like the whole thing seems really heavy-handed. Is this like really how we're supposed to understand the great teacher uh, of Ecclesiastes? Um, well, one of the first things you need to remember is that this doesn't appear in a vacuum. The the chapter breaks aren't there. So if you really want to do something, pause this podcast and read Ecclesiastes 6 and 7 all together and see how this section lands in the middle of that conversation. Um, because the middle of this conversation, and I'm not inferring that there's a chiasm. I have not been able to find one yet. I kind of want to, but I can't make it work. Um, but this diatribe that we're reading here... Uh, It comes right in the middle of a section where the author is trying to decide what is going to be left after he's gone. Like the author saying, like, when I'm all gone, here's the problem. When I die, everything gets passed on. Nothing remains. Like, what's going to remain after I'm gone? And in the middle of this whole diatribe, he says, go ahead and read that passage one more time for us, Brent. 
A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. The house of mourning, it keeps talking about. Better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. Uh, Charles Spurgeon had a quote that I found once, and he said this. He said, a good character is the best tombstone. Carve your name on hearts, not marble. And I love that quote, but Ecclesiastes beat him to it quite a long time ago. A good name, the the essence of what the writer is saying here is you, when you consider what's going to be left after you're gone, like one of the things that can be left after you're gone is a legacy, a name. A good name is better than fine perfume. Fine perfume being some of the most costly things you could you could acquire in their world. A good name? Well, your perfume, well, that's just when you're dead, can't enjoy that anyway. It's just going to get passed on to the next person. But a good name, well, that can live on. That can have eternal ripples. So when you think about meaning, when you think about purpose, on the surface, this book is super depressing, full of despair, nothing but meaninglessness, vanity, vanity of all van- vanity, vanity, vanity. But a good name, if you want to get up in the morning, if you want something to get out of bed in the morning, if you want meaning and you want purpose, well, a good name is better than fine perfume. And how could you do that? Nobody's going to remember the great party. Now, you know me in party. Do I like party, Kev? Oh, yeah, you do. Uh, (laughs) Oh, yeah, I do. (laughs) You better believe it. Yeah, Leviticus, we talked all about the party. Brent, am am I a believer in the party? Absolutely. You have to party. Because if you don't party, you're going to forget where you came from. But if you ever have a choice in a critical moment of whether or not you're going to go to the house of mourning, what's happening at a a house of mourning? They're mourning. They're grieving. Somebody's died. There's a funeral. If you ever have a decision of whether or not to show up at a house of mourning or a house of feasting, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, choose the house of mourning. Because nobody's going to remember the party when you're dead, but somebody might remember the impact you had because you showed up. The Jews might say to sit Shiva, uh, to go be with people who need help, to go be with people that need compassion, need somebody to just be there for them. Your good name, a legacy, impact of other people's life. Well, that might just matter. And so I love that about Ecclesiastes because on the surface, it's like, ugh. But underneath the surface is an author saying, you can give your life meaning by making it about other people. Now, that sitting Shiva concept, are we talking about that more in the future? Or do you want to explain that a little God, bit more now? I kind of could here. I don't know where it will come up before. Oh, it, it, yeah, we'll talk about it with the book of Job. Okay. We'll bring that up again. Well, yeah, that'll be coming. Great. A short little explanation. It's the idea of coming with somebody who's in grief. And in the Jewish world, uh, we need to learn from this in our culture. Uh, you sit Shiva by just being there for the person. You don't talk. That If you talk, you're not sitting Shiva. Sitting Shiva is where you you just come and you're just there. And if they want to talk, uh, you can talk. 
But if they don't, in fact, a great, there's a little NUMA video by Rob Bell. You could put a link to this if you want, uh, called Matthew. It's all about death and grief and, and just the idea of, of sitting Shiva. So that would be a great way to, to look at it. So I can recommend that. Good question. Meaning. Where does real meaning come from? Understanding our why. And we've said it before. It's not about self-preservation. It's about what, Kev? Not self-preservation? Living for others. Self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice. Yeah. So uh, there you go. Meaning and purpose found in the same exact things we've been talking about since podcast one and two of session one. Showing up in Ecclesiastes. There you go. Uh, So you said that uh, Ecclesiastes is... Uh, debated as to whether or not Solomon Proverbs are, are the entirety of Proverbs attributed to Solomon? Not at all. Uh, in fact, I don't even think even conservative um, uh, uh, scholarship or, or, or Bible teachers do that. He's uh, attributed to compiling them. He probably wrote some of them. He might have even wrote a lot of them. Who knows? He might have wrote none of them. But he definitely was given, he's usually traditionally given credit for compiling all the Proverbs. He went out and found them. Put them all together. Are there in-text attributions like you find in the Psalms? Like this is a well, Psalm of David. Is um, there that with Solomon? There's there are some subtitles, and as far as I know, they're not based on anything in the text. Hence, in the text. Um, but in your English Bibles, you'll have subtitles. Now, like I said, that shouldn't have any. There should be no bearing of that being rooted in the text anywhere. But there might be some marginal notations and manuscripts that I'm not aware of. Uh, but no, not like you have in the Psalms. The Psalms are nice in that way. In one way, they're not, because we still don't know if it's a psalm of David or a psalm for David. The Hebrew doesn't clear that up. Uh, so there's even that conversation. But we do have the, the Proverbs of Solomon for about, let's see, it goes from about chapter 10 through chapter 22, and then there's a few more towards the end. Now, did he write all those, or did, did he compile them? Yeah, it's a great question. But he's the guy that put them all together at the very least. Or so tradition says. Either way more useful tools for our journey. And we were told he was a pretty wise guy. Wisest guy to ever live on the face of the earth outside of Jesus. All right. Well, if you live on the Plus, we hope you join us for discussion groups in Moscow on Tuesday or in Pullman on Wednesday. Uh, You can get a hold of Marty on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. Kevin's at SComet821. Be sure to to reach out with him and and say how much you enjoyed uh, having him here with us. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, You can always find more details about the show at BeModDiscipleship.com. Check out our Bama Discipleship Facebook page. Marty's always posting great stuff on there. And thanks for joining us on the Bama Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.